It is a, it's a real pleasure to be with you for a bunch of different reasons. One is to be part of the Think Conference, to be able to learn uh, from the other folks who are there. It was a great pleasure. Uh, the second reason, I, I don't mean to make you jealous. I, maybe I do make, mean to make you jealous. I've already been to one service today. And this is the second time I've been able to worship this morning. So what, what could be better than that? What could be more pleasurable than that? I don't have that opportunity at home. And it's also a pleasure to consider a, an, important, an important feature of our human condition this morning. You heard the, the passage, Proverbs 29, 25. Let's say you are reading through scripture and you encounter this passage and it says, the fear of man lays a snare but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. And perhaps it catches your attention. What, what is this fear of man? And what does scripture say about it? Let's, let's wander in to that particular phrase this morning. And, and let's begin by, indeed, simply, what, what does it even mean? And, and the original readers of scripture, the original hearers, what, what were they thinking? What was packaged into that particular experience. Let's begin by, by seeing some of the depths of this in Scripture together. I, I think probably most of us know that the idea of fear in Scripture is a little broader than our sense of fear, where one of the prominent ways we respond to the Lord is we fear Him. We fear the Lord, which is different than, than cowering and, and, and being afraid. It is, the idea is, well, fear is in there, but it's the core of fear. When we're afraid of something, we're controlled by that particular thing. Uh, that seems to be the idea. It determines the course of our behavior. It becomes the most, what is most important in our life. If I think of different things that I am afraid of, uh, snakes, I think, are the first thing that come to mind. And for some reason, we have a property that is infested with snakes. They're... They're this big. They're this big. They're garter snakes, of course. Uh, but it doesn't matter if my finger can fit into their mouth. They're dangerous snakes. Um, when I won't even tell you stories about when I've seen these snakes around, I, I lose my mind a bit. And the snake becomes what is most important. The snake becomes what seems to control my behavior. That seems to be the idea behind the fear of other people. The scripture identifies that the competition for our hearts is, is oftentimes two different things. It's money, which obviously the New Testament speaks of often, and it's people. We can be controlled by other people. Our behavior can be determined by other people and, and their opinions. So let's, let's move into scripture a bit and see if we can see how, see some of the stories that are crammed into this, and then we can move to our own particular experience. The earlier it appears in scripture, the, 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 the more important the theme is. Early on in scripture, in Genesis, of course, it was the voice of another person. It was being controlled by that other person's voice, rather than being controlled by the voice of God, which changed human history. So the fear of man is embedded in, in our lineage immediately. When we, when we move to, to the next critical episode, which in scripture, that would be the people of Israel moving out of Egypt. Once again, 
fear of man is, is, is essential to, to that particular story. The, the children of Israel, they move out of Egypt, as you know, they are on the cusp of the promised land. The spies are sent out, and the land has been promised to them by the Lord who is to be feared among all. And, and the spies say this, the people we saw were of great height. There were giants in the land. And to make it even more, there, there weren't giants in the land. There's no record of eight-footers in the promised land. It felt like these people were stronger than them. They'd come out of Egypt. They didn't quite feel like they were up to a major battle. And then they say of themselves, and we felt like grasshoppers in their eyes. And, and, and here again, this is not merely an episode in Scripture. This is another turning point in Scripture. The history of Israel turns on who will control me. Will it be the strength of other people or will it be the strength of my God? As we move on in scripture, it becomes even more familiar. You see, the, the, the people in the promised land, they had a certain power they could have killed the Israel. They, that's, that indeed is where they had that controlling influence. But as we move through scripture, the fear of man becomes much more familiar because most of us don't have people who are threatening to kill us. Rather, Isaiah 51 says something like this, 51.7. Do not fear the reproach of man. Do not fear the reproach of man. The reproach of man is the is the disapproval of other people, the opinions of other people, the recognition, the respect, the status that we can have in other people's recognition. All of a sudden it becomes very, very familiar. The, the concern is not so much other people. The concern, of course, is the matter of our own hearts. The, we can already see this, this, this well-known theme in Scripture emerging. Will you, will you fear man or will you fear God? Will you trust in man or will you trust in God? Will you obey man or will you obey God? Will you seek to please others or live to please Christ? That's the either or. The matter is a matter of our own heart. And, and it's not so much that, 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 that we shouldn't be hurt by the poor opinions of other people. Of, of course, it's part of our humanity. We want to be liked by others. That's, that's, that's assumed even in Scripture. But what happens is that desire for the affection of other people, for the good opinions of other people, it, it instinctively, it, it, it naturally tends to grow in our hearts to the point where it rules us. We could, we could use this word. We, we move from wanting good opinions of others to needing it. We must have it in order to live. And we were created in such a way that, that, that we will never be satisfied if we use that word need for anything other than Christ alone. Everything in all of creation will fall short. If we move to the New Testament, we can accumulate a few other passages. 
The Pharisees are identified in this way. They loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. They lived, they needed, they craved the approval of others more than the approval of God himself. And in Jesus was, was noticeable in his community because he was not. Because fear of man apparently was, was such a natural feature of the human life. Jesus was not, says in Matthew 22, he was not swayed by man. He didn't pay attention to who they are. He didn't change his message for the wealthy. The wealthy who we instinctively perhaps we would want their approval more because they can do something for us. He was not a respecter of persons. And as a result, he stood out from, from among all the religious leaders of the day. Let's, let's now make that, that critical move from, here it is in scripture, and obviously we're just, we're just touching on it very briefly, but we already see it appears at these critical turning points in scripture. And, and now let's, let's look for it in our own hearts. That's... That's obviously the, the challenge that we always have when we come together. How do we take an ancient text and, and bring it to our souls today? So the question is, where are your desires for affection? Where have they grown to idolatrous proportions? Where have they grown to these desperate needs? Now, the, the, the way that works its way in our lives, the way it works out is a few different ways. Um, my, my mind keeps going to this one particular story. When I was 15 years old, I was invited to a Sweet 16 birthday party by way of a girl that I really liked. And so I'm really looking forward to this Sweet 16 party, and other friends were going to be there. And of course, the, the day of the party, there was a pimple that emerged on my nose. Now, I, I don't think my parents even noticed it. it but, but as far as I was concerned, the pimple was a giant, and I was a grasshopper in comparison. It, it, I was Rudolph, my nose was glowing. And, and so, you know, the fear of man, it's, it's not always there, but just, just something will seize us in different occasions. And it seized me. So I didn't drive at the time, somebody was picking us up, and the, the person I liked, I wouldn't even look at her. What is she going to think? When she sees this particular pimple, what would she think? Now, if I would have stretched the question out a little bit more, well, she wouldn't have thought much of anything. That's what she would have thought. But, but what will the giant think of me? The entire evening, all I could think of was I was determined by the pimple. Well, actually, it wasn't the pimple. It was, it was my desire to be liked by somebody. It grew, I need her to like me. I need her to see me in a certain way, and, and I don't. And as a result, some, one way that fear of man can emerge is we want to hide. We want to run away. We, we're distraught. We, we don't want to be seen. excuse me, for, for this teenagers who, are, who might be listening. Um, uh, typically, we think of teenagers as having sort of the corner of the market on the fear of man, peer pressure, and being controlled by what other people think. Well, what scripture would say is there is nothing that happens when you turn 20 years old. 
It just takes a series of different forms. You don't measure up at work. Or maybe put it this way. For adults, a day can sneak up on you as if it was the high school reunion coming up that evening. And all of a sudden, what? All of a sudden, you, you need to lose a few more pounds. All of a sudden, how can you bolster your resume? All of a sudden, you recognize that, that you live for your own personal achievement so you can have reputation by, by those around you. And you fear like you will never quite get enough of it. You will never quite measure up. So try to find this. How does this work its way out in your own life? Another way it can work out is in something actually more aggressive. This doesn't seem like a cowering fear, but a, a person who, who lives out of his resume, who lives out of his achievements, but he thinks his achievements are great. And so if he is wronged, if he is disrespected in any way, if somehow his greatness is not understood by those around him, he will be angry. It, he seems very powerful. But, but you are the giant, and he is the grasshopper. And, and he needs the respect of those around him, and he didn't get it. Instead of cowering, he, he fights for it. The phenomena can work its way out in all kinds of different ways. I was talking to a couple in our church that was, that, uh, was riddled by tensions that, that was, they were eventually going to split apart. I asked them, I, I must have asked them something about the first year or two of their marriage, just what was it like. And, and the husband quickly went into a story where within the first day or two of marriage, Something happened that displeased him. His wife didn't approve of him, didn't think he was the greatest human being in the entire world. Whatever it was, he went silent, cold shoulder. Another form of anger. He went silent for one year. For the first year of marriage, he did not speak to his wife until finally he must have deigned that she had, she had been punished enough for her sins and and then he began to speak to her once again. Can you see it? Can you see it in your own life? Can I see the times where, where my wife has not said anything cruel to me, but, but somehow suggested that I might not be the greatest human being she has ever met in her, her entire life? And, and what? It's so the the turning away, the hiding, or the punishing in silence. Do you see these things in your own life? Well, here's what we're aiming for. To, to have, and we could call it a thicker skin, if you will. Yet to a thicker skin coupled with a, with a tender heart. The heart that is not callous, but, but a heart that still loves. We can set off to be a little less concerned about the regard of other people, about the approval of other people, about the respect of other people, to be a little less concerned with the regard of others. Or we can say we, we want to have something in our lives that is more important than, than what we can receive from others or what we hope to receive from others. So let's, let's move now into 
into ways that Scripture sort of guides us through this. We obviously we wouldn't even be talking about this if if the Lord didn't have this human struggle on His heart for us. We wouldn't talk about it if if the Lord didn't walk with us in, in gentleness and comfort as He takes us into a new kind of freedom. Here, here are some of the ways that Jesus comes to you and to me. He teaches us to say perhaps the most important thing that we can say as Christians. And in fact, it, 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 in some ways, it's the one word that, that unites us all. We have all, at one point, said, Jesus, help. Jesus, help me. That's what it means to be a Christian. We depend on another. We depend on him for salvation, but we depend on him day after day as we see the fear of man and all kinds of other things growing in our hearts. Jesus, help. Maybe that's enough. Uh, so, so you're done thinking through the fear, of, the fear of man for the day. You just want to be able to say help. Scripture has located it for you. It's, it's given you some vistas, and you, Jesus, help me. There's more things we can say. We can say, we can say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you, because you have actually predicted that that the fear that, that, that we will not always be approved and respected and treated the way that we would like. And then as we go a little bit deeper in it, we, we find that we are following the the one who was truly rejected by the entire world. And as the king goes, we, we go. Perhaps we can say something like this. When we see where we're dying for the adulation and the respect or, or, the, or the approval or just being the belonging of other people, we can say, Jesus, thank you. This is, this is the perfect opportunity to, to learn to trust in you, perhaps in a slightly different way. Help. So instead of this being a threat in our lives, it becomes painful still, but indeed an opportunity. Perhaps perhaps we will be willing to be average. The Apostle Paul, as you read 1 Corinthians, one of the ways he he speaks early on, he says, oh, by the way, uh, Jesus doesn't call important people. You're just a bunch of average people. And he does that to encourage us. And the reality is we are indeed average people. Well, it's a little more complicated than that. Some of us are really good at some things, but we're not good at everything. We're good at some things or we're bad at some things. We're just average people. Are you okay being average? Which is another way of saying, are you okay not being the one who receives glory for yourself? Here's what happens when a wise person ends up being spoken to almost face to face by the Lord. This is Job in Job Job chapter 40. He says this, I am of small account. I am of small account. This is is not necessarily feeling worthless. It's just just bringing our desires down to size. We We are creatures and not the creator. I am of small account. These are some of the ways that, that Jesus leads us to being less, less controlled by people so we can, 
we can love them. Perhaps we will simply confess, why do I care so much about me? Why do I care so much about me? And then we set out to to find something more important than the opinions of other people. And of course, here's, here's the way out of almost everything in Scripture. It begins with the fountainhead of Christ himself. This is, this is who you are. You have been loved first and most and persistently. You have been pursued by love. He is the one who says to you, open your mouth and I will fill it. In other words, to be needy for the love of other people, to desire love is appropriate and right and human. To need it beyond anything else is idolatrous. But to need the love of Christ is the one place you've come, you've come to the right place. And this is the one place where you will be satisfied. So you come to the fountainhead. And he speaks of his pursuing affection for you. And he say, fill me up even more. I want to know this even more. And, and you realize in your relationship with Jesus, there will be this eternal imbalance. Well, he will, he will always love you more than you will love him back. That's, that's the way he has designed it. He will pursue you. He will never turn away where we can, we can do such things. That's what it means to live in Christ. Now, as we, as we take that feature of life with Christ and begin to move into our everyday relationships, perhaps it can look like this. How can we be imitators of Christ in some creaturely way in our relationship? For example, I want, in my relationship with my wife, here's, here's where scripture guides. I want to love her more than I want to be loved. Or, or I want to love her more than I need her love. In other words, I want her to love me. Of course, if, she, if my wife doesn't love me, it it's, feels catastrophic. But in imitation of, of this imbalanced lifestyle that the Lord has put in us, put, and, 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 and that the kingdom is made of this imbalanced lifestyle, to... to Love another more than you want to be loved by them or approved by them or respected by them to maintain that imbalance. Could you, could you see the freedom? Could you see the power of this? Can, can you imagine how my wife would say something to me that it, it might be fine, but I would take it in the wrong way. I would take offense at it. And, and, and there it is. The, the fear of man looms. Her words become that snake in the backyard. They control me more than anything else. They control me more than the words of God. Could, could you imagine at a point like that, being rescued by a simple calling from the Lord? As I have loved, I can love. And so it's a simple question. Okay, my wife has said something to hurt me just now. How do I love in this situation? And, and, and now once we get to that question, there are an infinite, infinite varieties of love. But could you imagine getting to that particular question rather than lashing out in anger or, or, or turning and hiding or, or punishing with a cold shoulder? These are some of the ways that 
Jesus guides us through this, this labyrinth of the fear of man. Let me give you, let me give you just one other. Sometimes I think in the Christian life, if I'm completely stuck, when in doubt, confess. When in doubt, confess sin. It, somehow it all, things become a little bit clearer then. A story that I heard of a pastor. People came to him, some of his, uh, some of his coworkers came to him and said, there's a problem. You're, you're, you're being slandered in, in, in the church community and people have been saying things about you. And... And, and what they were saying were horrible things and they weren't true. And so I, I first heard this story and my reaction was, do something about that. Cut the slander out of the community because it's, it's so poisonous. What the pastor said was, they don't know the half of it. They don't know the half of it. In other words, the, the pastor had not done what he had been accused of doing. But he had, following the Lord's Prayer, he had spent some time confessing his own sin that morning. And the things he confessed were much more serious than any human being could ever bring against him. They don't even know the half of it. You see, the freedom in confession, it's to be able to speak honestly to the Lord of of the the various features of sin in our own life and to know his forgiveness. It's... It creates a more solid platform of the fear of the Lord in our lives rather than the fear of man. And then, of course, off we go. We go out in, in love, and love can take the form of confessing our anger to another person. It can take the form of speaking to somebody who has hurt us and seeking to reconcile in the relationship. It can take the form of covering an offense. It can take the form of seeking help. But know this. Know this, that God has determined that the fear of, the Lord, the fear of man will not be eradicated in your life over the next week or so. And it's a good thing, because you know what? Then, then there would never be an occasion for you. You could just coast on your own righteousness. There wouldn't be an occasion for you to say, help, I need Jesus. So between now and the day you see Jesus Christ, you know that money will be something that competes for your affections. And the opinions of other people will compete for it as well. And we are thankful that we have a God who, who speaks specifically to this, gives us his, gives us, gives us his spirit so we can grow through the opportunity. We're sort of the tail end of the Think Conference in some ways. Perhaps one of the themes of the Think Conference is is the struggles of everyday life, no matter what they are, the fear of man being one of them, shame and fears and depression and on and on. Here's here's basically what what we're saying, that that whatever it is, the, the things that are important to us in our own hearts, they're important to Jesus, and he will speak to them in his word. He will speak to them more profoundly than we could ever imagine. Sometimes, frankly, it is difficult for us to draw out of Scripture what he says that we need help. But, but indeed, if he speaks to the fear of man, he, he speaks to all those little nooks and crannies of our own life. So we can simply thank him 
He is the God who sees and doesn't leave us to our own devices. Let me, let me end with a, with a particular quote. You see, there is another, there is another one of those turning points in Scripture. It, it, it turns on the fear of man. And it is, it is one of the, the saddest stories in all, all the Bible. It is Peter, outside a place where Jesus is being judged, outside a charcoal fire, other, a few other people around, and a little servant girl becomes the giant in the land. And he becomes a grasshopper, controlled by what the little servant girl might do. Didn't I see you with him? And he, with, with oaths, he, he denies even knowing Jesus Christ. One of the... At that particular moment, you can never say that your sins are worse than anybody in Scripture. Because there, there is nothing worse than saying, I don't even know you. And it's, what is it? It's the fear of man. But here's the beauty of, of, of Peter's letters. Here you have, you're, you're betrayed Jesus. It is public knowledge. It is identified in the gospel letters. And when you write your letter, there is not a hint of it. There is not a hint of residual guilt and shame, but simply, but simply this delight in speaking of Christ. But if you look carefully, there is there's one little place where he has his own experience in mind, and he says this. He says this in 1 Peter 3. Don't fear what they fear. In other words, don't allow your lives to be, the course of your life to be determined by the opinions and the words of other people. Don't fear humans. Don't feel, fear people, whether it's your spouse or your neighbor or your boss. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Not a human being as Lord, but set apart Christ as Lord. Those are Peter's words to you. Let me pray. Here's the rhythm of life before you, Lord, where your desire for us to be with you is so paramount that when our hearts tend to be dominated by other people, you, you turn the light on, you allow us to see ourselves and to turn to you to help, to know your forgiveness, to to sit and listen, to know something of your love and the unbalanced life that we live before you. you your love will always be greater, greater than anything we could imagine. To allow the word need to be, to be exclusively used in our relationship with you. And then we will be satisfied. Thank you, Father, for the gentle way that you reveal us and draw us back to yourself. In the name of Christ, amen.